You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your hosts, David Shane and Ben Goats. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey, uh, at least for now, because uh, the Golden Knights held their exit interviews with the media on Tuesday, so that was the last time we're going to talk to a lot of uh, players, a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, the head coach and, of course, the general manager, possibly um, until things really pick up this offseason for the players, potentially not until training camp. So we're going to get into all that was said and unsaid uh, today. Uh, first off, I'm Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights uh, beat writers for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, David Shane. Dave, have you recovered from sitting in the night's interview room for about uh, four hours yesterday? I think my head is still spinning. I think I'm still somewhere between like confused and frustrated and I don't know, maybe a little anger in there as well. Like I, I'm not sure, but yeah, that was, that was something. I, I'm not sure I've, I've seen a, a news conference like that and certainly the end of it. Yeah. There's a lot to, uh, dissect and get into. And so we're going to go through kind of all of the highlights, main takeaways and lingering questions we still have after yesterday. Uh, but before we do all that, I just want to remind you all that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. We are also presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We had a bunch of stuff off of the exit interviews on the site yesterday. We're going to have more coming at you guys throughout the week, as well as coverage of the Silver Knights playoff run, because that actually begins tonight uh, as recording this on Wednesday against the Colorado Eagles. Uh, So look out for that if you are interested in the Calder Cup playoffs. Uh, And we are also presented by Blue Wire. So we'll start diving into the exit interviews now. Just as a reminder, uh, last episode that we did was basically kind of a hour-long breakdown of everything that went wrong for the Golden Knights, we're going to get into more kind of off-season, you know, previewy stuff of like what this team, you know, has to do, might do, all that kind of questions that are still up in the air, kind of moving forward here. Since we're going to have a longer summer than anticipated to break down potential Golden Knights moves and all of those kind of things are still weeks, if not months, away uh, as well. But um, you know, I think. Overall, out of the, I believe it was like seven players, then Coach Peach Boer and Kelly McCrimmon that all, you know, kind of took the podium. You know, a lot of it was pretty unsurprising. There was a lot of, you know, talk about, hey, like, this is really disappointing. This is not where we want to be. Uh, we're going to use, you know, us not making the postseason for the first time in franchise history as fuel. A lot of talk about how, you know what, we were just banged up all year. We had 500 man games lost. That made it really difficult. I believe Pete DeBoer kind of said, like, look, like that bled into everything, every kind of nitpick or criticism you want to throw at us. Injuries had some sort of hand in that. Um, So before we dive into some specifics or, you know, a little bit more kind of specific topics, was there a big picture takeaway that you had from kind of all of those, you know, guys speaking to us yesterday? Is there any particular place you want to start? Well, I mean, I think, you know, maybe it was a little bit driven by us and the media, but I do think that they kind of opened the door to at least a couple things. 
Um, certainly we alluded to the, uh, the end of the news conference and, and Kelly McCrimmon's declaration that he would be happy to answer questions about dysfunction and then proceeded to not answer any questions about said dysfunction. So like, I, I did find that whole side of it and, and, you know, the chemistry question. And, and again, like I, and this is something that I pushed back on in that news conference, like the chemistry part of it was brought up by Max Pacioretty the last week of the season. He's the one that talked about, you know, chemistry being most important on and off the ice and all that. Like to me, that automatically points to, okay, well, is there something going on? So like that whole part of it, I think was interesting, but in terms of the team, in terms of more of like, you know, what went wrong and what can they do to, to change things? I I think what stood out and, and again, I think, you know, it was, it was partly them, partly us, but the talk of the identity and, and how they've gotten away from that. And, you know, maybe it's an accumulation of the moves that they've made and just not enough people, you know, were here that first year when the culture is established and the handful of guys that are left, you know, maybe at least in Jonathan Marchessault's eyes, he says, you know, maybe it's on him uh, to to have let, you know, that they've let that standard slip, that it's dipped, that they're not that hardworking, you know, aggressive team. You know, Mark Stone, I think it was, who made a mention of, you know, in the past games at T-Mobile will be over after five minutes. You know, it'd be 2 nothing, 3 nothing, that they just bury teams. We certainly saw that the first year, and I don't want to keep going back to the first year because I, I, I can't stand that that whole comparison. It's you know, it's just in the past. But but I do think at least for this team in particular, and for me, this is just my personal opinion. I think the one one three had a huge part to play in this. I just think they've gotten away from who they are and what they were like, you know. These guys, Max Pacioretty and Adam Hill, our colleague, had a great tweet about this. And I thought I retweeted it, but he was spot on 100% without ever mentioning Ryan Reeves' name. Like a handful of guys basically said, we need a fourth line that can put guys into the front row, you know, and in, in knock people's nachos out of their hands. Like they didn't have that. They didn't have the aggressiveness. Just, just everything about this team just felt like the identity had gotten away. And, and I think that was probably maybe – my biggest takeaway from it, aside from, you know, the other things, the goalies and Pete DeBoer and his status and all that other sort of stuff is is just kind of the Golden Knights figuring out who they are going forward. Yeah, I think the identity thing was something that stuck out to me as well, because two things that a lot of players said when they walked kind of into the interview room was, you know, basically uh, fast and physical. Those are kind of the two keywords that you know, a lot of guys brought up is that they want this team to play faster and be more physical than they were this year. And that's something that's definitely obviously been an identity of this team in the past. And especially I think the physical part was pretty clear. It wasn't always there this year. That's obviously a lot tougher to quantify. You don't just want to go by like, okay, did they have, you know, as many hits as they have in previous years, because those numbers can be very skewed uh, depending on the building that you're looking at. But, you know, the Knights historically have been a very big team. They're always kind of near the top of the NHL in height and weight. Um, But I think I even saw a chart from uh, the athletics analytics guy, Don Lucision um, a couple weeks ago, where he was like, the Knights still kind of are in the upper percentiles, you know, in terms of size, but they are not, uh, 
in the kind of upper percentile in terms of just like, you know, physicality in terms of the hits they're putting on opponents and stuff. Um, you know, Braden McNabb and like Alec Martinez did kind of talk, you know, that yesterday about what you were kind of hinting at Dave, that like Alec Martinez was like, you know, you usually know when you go into Team mobile arena as a visitor, that there's a good chance someone's going to put you in the first row, your first shift. And that like affects you as a defenseman. That's hard to play against. McNabb mentioned the same thing. And I just don't think obviously this team had a lot of guys that was going to put someone in the first row. McNabb is still obviously very physical. His open ice hits I think are still pretty devastating. William Carrier is a guy who's very physical. will kind of fly around, you know, banging bodies whenever he feels that he needs to. But um, overall, it just felt like this team maybe didn't have the level of grit and sandpaper that they you know, had in years past, they didn't have that kind of grind to them that we've seen moving forward. That's like very hard um, to quantify, but maybe that would have squeaked them, you know, into uh, some games that they needed to win down the stretch or just throughout the year because they ended up, you know, losing a lot of games to teams that they, at least on paper, were better than even with all the injuries they had. And maybe if they, you know, had that extra kind of, brashness aggressiveness uh, that you're describing that you know things would have turned out differently a little bit and then i want to now then kind of turn it back to what you mentioned about this one one three uh, neutral zone system that they switched to this year kind of copying uh the tampa bay lightning and what they've done in the past uh you know do you think we you know with the same system same personnel they can recapture that fast and physical identity dave or do you think there needs to be a you know system personnel tweak and or both in order to kind of get this team to the vision that it clearly wants for itself moving forward i would have to look at the roster a little bit closer to to really answer that question unfortunately i i just feel like maybe more just mindset than anything is it's ill-suited that that this team is just a forward attacking on the front foot type of team. That's what it was founded on. Like that's golden Knights hockey, you know, like one of the things that I find you don't see it as much, I think in the NHL and certainly, you know, not these days, but you know, I certainly think back to like the old flyers, like you knew they were going to like slug you in the mouth and it was going to be a brawl, you know, and everything like that. When you play in Boston, like it's gritty, it's hard nosed. Like the Boston Bruins have just played that way forever. You know, there's certain teams that just kind of have certain identities because of the city, because of the coach, because of a GM, like w- whatever it might be. The hard thing that I'm, what I'm struggling with with sort of this team is they have this collection of really good players that all have these, you know, elite skills in, in, in some cases, you know. A guy like Mark Stone is, is when healthy, you know, a Selkie candidate. Um, you know, they've got William Carlson. Like, they've got guys that can play, you know, defense. It's just like there's not these whole – but it, for whatever reason, especially this year, it just never seemed to mesh well in terms of like, oh, okay, you know, we got a fourth line that we're going to roll out there and it's going to thump you. We got, you know, a third line that's going to do this and then we can – bring out, you know, a top six that's going to, you know, score and do this or what, what a power play that does it. Like they, they just, there's no identity. There's just nothing, you know, 
like Jonathan Marcheseau talked about the first year, you know, what were they, you know, fast, aggressive, hard to play against in their building. Like there's just, there's nothing like that. You know, what's Minnesota right now? Big physical, you know, we'll see what happens in the, in the series with St. Louis, you know, what, what are, you know, I don't know the Rangers, you know, leaning on a goalie, like, you know, we've seen a lot of the same things, you know, with Jar Glant in terms of the system, like these teams all have like an identity, what they lean on, you know, things that they do well, you know, ways that they win games. And the Golden Knights just seem to kind of be like, yeah, I don't know. We got a really good team and we'll just kind of figure it out. And they never really figured it out. So, you know, for me, and I think, you know, we're, we're, we'll talk about this a little bit and, and maybe this is like a, a smooth segue or transition into this. But like for me, if I'm doing my my exit interview with Pete DeBoer and, and I'm sitting across from him, I'm challenging him really hard on this one one three. And I'm not sure if he's married to it that he's the coach for me because I think they need to get back to an attacking mentality. And I'm not sure if he's going to implement that system next year that that's the way to do that. Yeah, so we'll get into kind of the coaching conversation uh, with Pete DeBoer now. He is scheduled to meet with General Manager Kelly McCrimmon and President of Hockey Operations George McPhee this week. Uh, nothing official was said about his future yesterday. He does have another year left on his contract. He said he hopes to be back. We'll obviously have to see um, what that meeting entails. Um, but I think we should probably spend at least a little bit of time kind of talking about the one, one, three system we've been uh, bringing up just so the listeners have a uh, better idea. This was something that, um, like I said, the Tampa Bay lightning have done and Pete DeBoer kind of wanted to bring in this year because he thought it could fit this team and create more chances for rush offense. And what has happened obviously to the golden Knights, the last two times they made the postseason is that their offense, specifically their offense, once they kind of got set up in the offensive zone, really dried up. They had a hard time breaking teams down and scoring goals that way, both at five on five and on the power play. Um, so Pete Moore came up with this idea of this is what we're going to do in the neutral zone to slow teams down. And we're hopeful that this will lead to more turnovers that will get us going the other way in like either odd man rushes situations or just with more space in transition. And this will lead to more offense for us. And it's called a one, one, three, um, because that's kind of how you, you know, set up where you've got one, four checker in front and one, four checker kind of in the middle. And then you've got three guys that are usually basically like kind of got their skates on the defensive blue line, waiting for teams to get through the neutral zone. And they're either there to kind of break up passes that are trying to create entries into, you know, the Knights defensive zone or they're, you know, breaking up entries for, you know, players trying to carry the puck into the Knights defensive zone with the hope being that if, you know, teams kind of try to play through this and, you know, don't just dump the puck, there's a good chance we have enough kind of bodies and sticks back at our own blue line where we're going to be able to disrupt any sort of pass or controlled entry that comes through here. We'll get the puck. We'll fling it immediately back the other way where we'll have kind of guys there that are ready to carry the puck up and transition and hopefully catch other teams off guard. Uh, the downside, of course, is if that teams do kind of take the easy route and dump the puck, then all of a sudden, if you're, you know, a Knights defenseman, you are having to go from a standstill position to now skating towards the 
puck with your back to kind of opposing players, trying to recover that puck while a four checker is probably right on top of you, could pound you into uh, the boards. And it makes it a little bit more difficult to get that breakout uh, started. No, no, yeah, you've described the system as kind of like passive, Dave, definitely not an aggressive system. You're kind of letting teams uh, come to you, basically, and then seeing, you know, what happens after that, whether you can, you know, disrupt something. It's not, you know, aggressive. You're not forcing the action if you're the Knights in this situation. And it was interesting to hear players talk about it because I think it got, you know, relatively... I would say mixed reviews or something, you know, a guy like Zach Whitecloud, I think was fairly strong in his endorsement of, you know, this style of play. He was like, look, I think this created a lot of offense for us. Shea Theodore, I thought was a little bit more nuanced where he didn't exactly like, you know, jump off the table saying this was good. He's like, I do think parts of it worked. I do. I think made it clear. Like, I don't love the fact that, you know, it's, I have to turn my back and go get the puck when they're rimming it around our defensive zone. He's like, that's more difficult. Braden McNabb kind of same thing. You know, he's like, there's positive and negatives to any system. And so, you know, we'll see what they kind of coach staff decides to do after this one. Um, What did you make of kind of how players talked about the neutral zone change? And I think you've made this uh, pretty clear, but do do you think it's, you know, going to stay or just ultimately be incongruent with what, these the players on this team want to be. I mean, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall and kind of hear what they said behind closed doors because, yeah, I think like you explained, you know, I think we got mixed reviews, but for the most part, they're not going to stand up there and bash it and, and say what they what I think they really feel. Um, I think they really felt like it. It just. I don't think they all bought in entirely. I don't think they felt like it was the best system for them. That it was a dramatic change. I think I can't remember who who said that or, or whatever, but somebody mentioned it just you know that it was a big change. We heard early on from like Chandler Stevenson, you know how big of a change it was. We heard mid season, you know, talking about guys, you know, even Alex Petrangelo still an adjustment, you know, still getting used to. We're getting better. Like it, it, they just never really stuck. It never took hold. Now, like, again, granted, and we'll get to this, but, like, the injuries do play a part of that because you don't have Mark Stone standing on the blue line who's essentially, like, that system is tailor-made for him, you know, to pick off passes in the neutral zone or pick somebody's pocket at the blue line and start a, you know, start a play the other way, hit a pass and transition, hit Stevenson, flying through the neutral zone or something. Like, it's, it's perfect for him, but there's four lines. And there's three sets of defensemen and like all that. And it goes back to like the roster construction. You know, this was a team big and physical. Like I actually want to go back to something because, you know, when we were talking about like the physicality earlier, Kelly McCrimmon said something very interesting. And, and I wonder about this, you know, and I think back to if this team was fully healthy day one, it sounds like the fourth line that they wanted was Carrier, Waugh, Colasar. That's a big, physical, pounding fourth line. Like, that's what Pete DeBoer wants. And and that's another thing, too, I want to say real quick, I guess, in his defense. Like, there's this misconception, I think, that they went and sacrificed some of the size and physicality, you know, for a little more skill in the bottom six. You know, we've, we've talked about this in the past. A guy like Brett Howden, even a guy like Noel Patrick when he was healthy, 
Um, you know, Nick Waugh, certainly a skilled guy, 35, 40 points, like he was flirting with, like, but they, they, they tried to remake their fourth line a little bit. Now, some of it ended up being injuries and they're using Ron Beard, you know, and Lecician, you know, and all of that. But Kevin McCrimmon said that fourth line that, he, that they, I guess, maybe originally envisioned was Carrier and Waugh and Colasar. And maybe we would have seen the physicality. Maybe that one one three suits them, you know, and they're able to thump people in that neutral zone. I, I just, for me, it felt like a, I don't want to say borderline desperation move, but it felt like a, we haven't gotten over the hump the last two years. I got to do something. So let's go back to a one one three, and here's how I'm going to justify it. And it just felt like it was a struggle. And it kind of blew up in their face all year. Like, like you talked about, you have three guys lined up on the blue line, flat, flat footed. And if you cancel them down, if something happens where they're breaking out with speed and those guys are in trouble. And we, we talked about, and we've seen the high danger chances that they gave up this year and the, you know, the goals that they gave up this year, the, you know, just the struggles defensively. And I think for me watching those games, a lot of it all started in the neutral zone. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Well, ultimately decide to do with uh, their system and their coach. Obviously, Pete DeBoer has had a lot of success with the Golden Knights, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of what ultimately, you know, is decided uh, for his future. Um, so we'll move on from the future of the coaching staff, which is still up in the air, to some injury news, which some of it is still very much in the air. So starting with the guys that ended the season on long-term injured reserve, um, Kerman basically said that uh, Riley Smith and Nick Haig had a chance to return in the playoffs. So there's clearly... Not a lot of concern for those guys moving forward. Riley Smith is a unrestricted free agent this offseason. Nick Hag is a restricted free agent. So both you know guys have contracts coming up and there will need to be some decisions on their future with the organization moving forward. McCrimmon also said Brett Howden with that very scary collision along the boards late in the year uh, has an injury that is, quote, very manageable. So that's obviously a good sign for him. And I'm sure the team is hopeful that with a healthy off season, he'll be back ready to go at length. The off season, I should say, um, Howden also a restri- restricted free agent needs to have a decision made about his future. Uh, Nolan Patrick, who only appeared in 25 games for the Knights, is out indefinitely, um, which is obviously a guy who's dealt with as much as he has in his career. Obviously not the news you would want to hear. Probably pretty scary for him. Uh, Laurent Brassois, Backup goaltender missed the last month plus of the season is having offseason surgery for what the board described as a complicated injury. He basically said, you know, he had his exit meeting with Brassois on Monday and the goaltender was like just starting to kind of like be comfortable with like the diagnosis of what was wrong and how he needs to go about fixing it and all that stuff. So that was interesting to hear. Uh, McCrimmon said the surgery is not real serious in terms of rehab time. So it's certainly would appear that, you know, Brassois has enough time to potentially get ready uh, for training camp next season. Um, And then the kind of biggest injury 
uh, question marks that we still have to uh, talk about moving forward here. We'll do uh, one quick here, and then one will require a much lengthier uh, discussion. Uh, Mark Stone basically was talking about his back, which obviously landed him on long-term injured reserve. A lot of this year, it's something he was basically dealing with on and off all season. He didn't play back-to-backs a lot. It started just the second game of the season against the Kings. And basically, when he was asked about it, he said, I am not you know, that concerned for the long-term here. He's like, I've talked to a lot of guys who have had similar injuries to me, guys that thought they were going to retire at age 30 and are actually still playing now at age 37, 38. So he's kind of comfortable that he's going to get past this, get through this. But he did basically not rule out the fact that he might need surgery on his back this offseason. He didn't say definitively whether he will have a procedure one way or the other, but he basically was like, I need to talk to a lot of people, kind of come up with a plan, figure this out, and then I'll you know, decide one way or the other what I think is the best course of action for me. He said, I want to talk to a lot of doctors. I want to talk to a lot of players that have had similar injuries to me to kind of figure out how they went about it, what the best practices might be, whether, you know, if I get surgery, it's something that's actually going to help me moving forward. Cause you know, he mentioned, I want to obviously finish out my contract with the Knights and hopefully have a couple more even after that. And right now this is obviously the biggest question mark on him moving forward. So uh, obviously I don't think that's ever what you want your captain to get up and say at a podium. Dave is like, I haven't ruled out getting back surgery. Um, but what did you make of Mark Stone's comments, you know, heading out into the off season where he kind of sits health wise right now? Well, I think he sounded or tried to sound confident that he's going to be healthy and ready to go for training camp. But I think anytime you're dealing with a back and sort of uncertainty with his back too, you know, that there's going to be question marks. Like I, I found it interesting and you sort of alluded to this, that he, like he's going to go through a whole process here, you know, almost like Jack Eichel in terms of researching what, you know, what can be done, uh, talking to obviously doctors and specialists, but then also talking to players that have gone through similar things that, you know, have thought they have to retire at 30 and are still playing at 37 or 38, you know, as, as he described it. So like the fact that this isn't just a, yeah, you know, I think I'll, I'll put the golf clubs away in the garage for the summer and I'll just sit around and I'll get some rest and maybe I'll get some acupuncture or something like that. And I'll be good to go. Like, it's nothing like that. Like this is, I don't want to say red flags, but, but like he, he's making this into a serious thing just by, how detailed and how serious he's going to be taking this. So I think from that standpoint, it's certainly something to watch. Uh, you know, you'd hope it doesn't linger. You hope they could figure it out. You'd hope with, you know, the longer off season that maybe that's the silver lining in all this. And they've touched on that, that, you know, okay, Hey, we've, if we've played a lot of hockey, the last handful of, you know, seasons and all of that, you know, and if we have to get knocked out early, well, okay, then, you know, let's take advantage of it, you know, but it sounds like there's more to this, you know, than just rest and relaxation for Mark Stone. And I think anytime you have that, it's going to raise some eyebrows. Yeah. Well, Mark uh, Stone ultimately decides his best for his body and his health will obviously be something that we'll have to monitor throughout the off season, maybe heading into next season. Uh, another injury that we will have to do the same thing with and just kind of overall 
uh, status for one of these players is, of course, Robin Leonard. Uh, a lot of time. It's probably not surprising to people of uh, uh, both Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon's uh, media availabilities. We're kind of going over what exactly happened with Robin Leonard the last couple weeks of the season, why certain decisions were made. Robin Leonard himself was not made available uh, to us in exit interviews. So we don't necessarily have his side of the story yet. That's obviously something that we would like to have at some point, but we did get, you know, some level of explanation as to what has been going on uh, behind the scenes with that. So for those that need to get caught up or just want to kind of have the full you know, picture down. Uh, once again, Robin Leonard got hurt uh, in February against Calgary. He injured his shoulder. That's the shoulder that now he will have off-season surgery on actually today, Wednesday, as we are recording this. Uh, it was determined that basically he could, you know, come back from that, that they could just try rest and rehabilitation at first, and he would be able to kind of play through it. Then he suffered a different lower body injury, you know, about a month later, came back, again and then ultimately had some disappointing performances down the stretch for the Knights. Basically, Pete DeBoer said he thought, you know, Robin was shaky in games against the Vancouver Canucks, against the New Jersey Devils, a very crucial loss for the Knights where they dropped two points at home to a non-playoff team while fighting to get their way in. And then he said he still, you know, believed in Robin Leonard the goaltender and has seen kind of the, the highs of Leonard's game. So we went with him again against the Washington Capitals in another kind of must-win game for the Knights. Leonard got pulled then after one period in a 1-1 game, though DeBoer did point out that Leonard basically kind of allowed two goals because he allowed a second goal that was later disallowed. Um, so Leonard's stats, he ultimately, I think, made... Uh, 12 saves on 13 shots faced in that first period, then get got pulled for Logan Thompson. DeBoer kind of brought up, like, look, he gave up two, basically. And then from there, what happened, if you talk to general manager Kelly McCrimmon, is that he basically had conversations with Robin Leonard on Thursday and Friday, because uh, that Washington Capitals game happened on a Wednesday. On that Saturday, Robin Leonard was examined by the Knights doctors who determined that, you know what, his shoulder, which apparently, according to McCormick, they had already kind of deemed like this is going to need surgery eventually. We just think that, you know, at first, initially, they believed it's something he can play through until the offseason. They determined on that Saturday which Leonard did not participate in practice with the Knights. He was given a maintenance day. He was also given a maintenance day the day before on Friday. Uh, The doctors determined like, nope, he actually should get this procedure sooner rather than later. Uh, Robin Leonard still dressed the next night, Sunday against the San Jose Sharks as the Knights backup to Logan Thompson. Um, McCrimmon basically pressed of like, why did he dress Robin Leonard when he knew that, you know, he needed surgery. They said, A, we needed Robin Leonard to play because we are activating William Carey from long-term injured reserve that game. And that would have basically pushed the Knights up right against the cap, in which case that the league might not have allowed them an emergency exception to call up a backup goaltender, which is what they had to do and ultimately did do for their final uh, three games of the regular season on their road trip. They had Yuri Patera 
as an emergency exception, they were allowed to call him up as a backup uh, and have him not count against the cap because Robin Leonard was hurt and shut down. Uh, the Knights could not do that on Sunday. We believe based on the explanation we got from Kelly McCrimmon because they were activating William Carrier on from long-term injured reserve that game, pushing themselves up against the cap limit. And so basically the NHL was basically, you can't, you know, use an emergency exception for an emergency that you created yourself specifically for this game. You removed all the cap space, you know, that you had by activating William Carrier for this game. Thus, you don't get to like kind of like double dip and use um, or use up all your remaining cap space. And because you've used up all your remaining cap space by activating a player, then get to say like, well, now we get an emergency exception too, because now we can't call up a backup goaltender that we need. Nickerman said, we needed to dress Robin Leonard for that game. And we are comfortable because we already knew that he needed surgery even before he was re-examined by our doctors on Saturday. Uh, we knew that the surgery was coming, you know, at some point and that he had kind of been playing through this injury previously that we were like not putting him at risk as our backup goaltender. Then next day, Monday, the Knights announced the Leonard is going to have that surgery. Like I said, that surgery is scheduled to take place today as we're recording this night. Don't have a timeline yet. Uh, and they won't until after the surgery happens as to how long Leonard is supposed to be out rehabbing and exactly how much time he will miss and whether he will be ready for training camp next year. Uh, it was a lot of explanations and a lot of kind of back and forth with both DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon, uh, Dave, trying to get answers out of this situation. Um, it was a weird spot because I do think we certainly got a lot of answers to the Knights perspective and, you know, reasons why they made the decisions that they did. The obviously tricky part right now is we don't have Robin Leonard's side of this story yet. And so we're not sure exactly how he feels this all uh, has been handled. And that I think is kind of the big lingering question left over from, you know, I was like 10, 12 minutes of questions specifically about him and kind of what happened with him at the end of the year. Yeah, the whole thing's just got me sideways. I'm, I'm, I've been struggling with what I want to say about this because, okay, I mean, all right, there's, there's basically, there's basically two things that could or, or, or whatever happened here. Okay. One is like Kelly McCrimmon's lying through his teeth and whatever happened on Thursday and Friday is not how he explained it. And then there was a reason that Robin Leonard needed to see the team doctor on Saturday, that something had somehow changed that, that necessitated that. And then the Sunday, so like whatever, you know, so, so either one Kelly McCrimmon is, is just lying about all of that or two. And I don't know if he was intimating this or, or, or what, but like the only other thing I think of is basically Robin Leonard went in there and like quit and basically said, I'm done. Shut me down. And, and went to the doctor and said, here's the, you know, here's my x-rays, here's my labrum or whatever, as Dr. Cervelli, you know, from Daily Faceoff called it, you know, said or whatever, you know. And then and they said, okay, fine, we'll do it. We'll shut you down. You know, if that's what you want, then then fine, you get your way. Like, that's the only way I could, those are the only two things I can get out of this. Either one, Kelly McCrimmon's lying, the Golden Knights are lying, or two, Robin Leonard basically quit on his team. And we're not going to hear about that and until Robin Leonard gives his side of it or whatever. I, I don't know. 
Like what else could it be? Like what, like clearly what happened or, or if we're going to try to piece this together and play, you know, like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. He went in on Thursday, like day off. They must've had a conversation or whatever. Right. The next day it comes out or whatever from the athletic, from the SPN or whatever that is having season ending surgery. Okay. So clearly like somewhere along the way, like there must've been a conversation about that. It doesn't just come out or whatever, and then be proven correct if there wasn't a conversation about it. Okay. So like, why was the plan then for him to practice Saturday and still back up Sunday? Like obviously on Thursday and Friday, they were still under the impression that he could play, that he was well enough to do whatever. And, and so what changed? Like what else could have changed other than Robin Leonard saying, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not good anymore. Like he just, I don't know. Like I'm so confused on this, you know, because it comes off like he just up and decided, nope, nope. I'm going in there on Saturday and I'm saying, bleep you guys, I'm done. You know, like how else are we supposed to see this? I, I don't know how else to interpret it. And, and it's very frustrating, you know, and until we hear, I guess, Robin Leonard's side of this and, and what he claims the Golden Knights did or said or, you know, or whatever and all of this. I guess we just have to ride with Kelly McCrimmon, you know, that they had conversations, that the plan was in place on Thursday and Friday, that Robin Leonard agreed to it, that he wasn't going to have surgery, and then all of a sudden something changed. So I'm pretty much at a loss. I think fans are, you know, at a loss with this. The listeners, like, you know, it's just like when it comes to goaltenders and the Golden Knights, they just can't seem to get – anything you know communicated properly yeah so that's i think the biggest thing right is that the whole like lines of communication have been so confusing in all this and like i think we got you know a lot of at least somewhat answers to key questions whether uh you want to obviously believe some of them is kind of up to you but you know pete DeBoer kind of explained his thought process behind all of those you know starts he gave robin leonard the decision to pull Robin Leonard in the first intermission of that Capitals game. Kelly McCrimmon gave his kind of view of, like I said, why, you know, basically he thought Robin Leonard was, you know, they thought he could, you know, go through it and why they were comfortable with Robin Leonard still um, dressing in that game against the Sharks, even as the backup and all of that. And Pete DeBoer even kind of walked back basically saying like, I kind of, you know, it was a, it was a bad kind of, you know, mistake by me to say that Robin Leonard is kind of healthy and fresh after that Washington Capitals game, because ultimately Robin Leonard, uh, who required uh, surgery on his shoulder at some point, you know, I think that was kind of indisputed that the Knights knew he was going to need shoulder surgery. Now, whether it came, you know, while the team was still kind of going or whether it happened, you know, in the off season was something that obviously was a little bit up in the air until they decided that he was going to get it after that Sharks game. But, you know, that was a faux pas that DeBoer basically you know, owned up to. Um, but still, it was just very interesting. Um, Dave, that I know you used uh, your word or this word in the story we have up on ReviewGeneral.com about all their explanations that you wrote about how, you know, McCrimmon was kind of like defiantly, you know, kind of giving his side of the story. DeBoer obviously was like pretty ready to defend himself. Yesterday, he came prepared with the number of times he had pulled a goalie uh, this season. Like he brought that up unprompted of, you know, he had only pulled a goaltender, I believe, four times 
this year and he brought up that Daryl Sutter did it twice, like in a week when the Knights were, you know, in Calgary for that game where they won six uh, one towards the end of the season. So he was prepared to defend himself. And what was weird about that to me is that they came ready for all these answers and to like defend themselves and what they felt were kind of like these outside insinuations that they have handled this uh, not properly. And we kind of still need to hear Leonard's side of the story to figure out whether he thinks there was, you know, anything handled improperly uh, about, you know, how the Knights went about this, but you know, they're the ones that were not providing answers for like weeks. And so that made it obviously very difficult to intuit what was going on. Obviously Pete was the one that was saying publicly about how, you know, Leonard was healthy and publicly it was kind of uh, denigrating Robin Leonard's performance to us. Uh, and then they did not provide answers when, you know, Leonard was in the process of kind of meeting those meetings on that Thursday and Friday, Friday, Robin Leonard was not at practice. We got to, you know, we're told that he's taking a maintenance day and basically we were not really allowed to kind of ask further questions about that. And DeBoer did not kind of basically like denied the report that he was going to have that Leonard was going to have shoulder surgery the next day. That's the day that Robin Leonard is examined by the doctors that Saturday. He again takes a maintenance day from practice. The Knights put out a statement saying that, and then they don't take any further questions on it. And then obviously Leonard, they announced that he's going to have the surgery on a Monday, a couple of days later, and the board doesn't take any questions basically on that either. The next time he is made available to the media. So they, until yesterday didn't provide a lot of answers, but then still were like kind of myth that people weren't just like seeing it from their perspective. It it's been a very bizarre situation and it's been handled in a very weird way. And because of all that, I think there's just like so much that's still up in the air and still so many lingering questions about, you know, as you said, just kind of how they're going to handle the goaltending situation moving forward, Dave. Yeah, and we all would love transparency from the Golden Knights, but we know we're not going to get it. Like, again, it's just another situation where their culture and their policies have sort of painted themselves into a corner in all this. But again, and look, I'm not trying to, like, smash Robin Leonard here or whatever, but, like, based on the two scenarios and, you know, A and B of what I think could have happened here or whatever – I wonder how much of this is the Golden Knights. They don't want to say something about Robin Leonard that maybe they'll regret. Like, I wonder if they're trying to bite their tongue here and just defend him and not, not bus roll him any more than they kind of already have, you know, like if something really did happen, if, if, if the quit scenario is sort of how it, how it went out, you know, went down. I hate that phrase went down. Um, If that's how it shook out, then yeah, they're probably not going to stand up there and like just trash him. But here's one of the the takeaways that I had. Mark Stone was asked about Robin Leonard, you know, sort of vote of confidence and is he the guy? Jack Eichel was asked about him and Jack Eichel played with Robin Leonard in Buffalo. Robin Leonard stood up and defended Jack Eichel during, you know, all the medical stuff and all that. I'm trying to remember who else other players, like at no point did it feel like anybody any one of those players gave a firm, I guess, vote of confidence for Robin Leonard as the guy. It almost, to a man, what they did was they turned it around and said, Logan Thompson played great. He gave us a chance to win. Max Pacioretty almost went so far as to say 
that Logan Thompson could have or should have been the spark for them to make the playoffs down the stretch. I, he, As far as I'm concerned, he was implying at a certain point, maybe the New Jersey game, I don't know, the Washington game, whatever it might be, that Logan Thompson should have been in there and that Robin Leonard shouldn't have. Like it, it, That was very clearly between the lines of what he said. So I, I'm just so baffled by this because nobody really stood up and strongly defended Robin Leonard other than, other than really kind of Pete DeBoer. And, and Pete DeBoer talking about how you know, they've seen the elite Robin Leonard. They know what he can do. And, and I've, I almost found that comment interesting that, that Pete DeBoer made that, hey, if Robin Leonard told us what, he want, you know, what we wanted to hear as a coaching staff to get in there and play, if he thought he could do it, you know, then, hey, good on him. That's his gumption. That's his, you know, I guess, competitiveness as a, as a player. You know, maybe ultimately, and to circle back to like Pete DeBoer, and if I'm going to evaluate him and should he retain his job, I think you can question how he handled the goaltending down the stretch. I think he realized maybe almost too late that that team was going to rally around Logan Thompson instead of Robin Leonard. And it took that first period of the Washington Washington game, I think, for him to realize it. And, and maybe there's an argument to be made that he could have realized it a game or two earlier. No, I definitely think there is. Well, he'll probably be thinking about that a lot over the coming months. I'm sure a lot of Knights players uh, as well will be thinking about now because they've got a long summer ahead before they reconvene for training camp uh, in September. They will be watching the NHL postseason uh, from their couches, just like uh, the rest of us. And it's been an exciting first couple days of the playoffs so far. Had a lovely triple overtime game at Madison Square Garden uh, last night where Gerard Glantz Rangers lost uh, to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, but I think that's pretty much all we got from the exit interviews and breaking them down as we've kind of alluded to throughout this podcast. There's a lot of storylines and kind of lingering questions that we're certainly going to be hitting on throughout the offseason because it's not like you know the Knights exited out of this season with a completely clean slate. There still is a lot of you know, kind of things hanging in the air that we'll have to see how they play out. But I think that's all we got from yesterday. Dave, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to bring up before we get out of here? Well, I guess we have a little bit of news that we should probably talk about at some point here, huh? Seems kind of inevitable. It's up to you. Um, well, you know, I think the listeners should should probably be the first ones to to get in on this. So this was this was my last season covering the Golden Knights. So I don't know what that means for the podcast. I guess we can do you know some here maybe this month. We'll we'll see what happens. Maybe some players uh, if the Golden Knights you know make anybody available. Doubt it, but but yeah, I'm gonna I'm bumping over to uh, cover sports betting. Uh, ben is more than ready to uh, take the reins and. And do this sucker all by himself. So uh, the bosses uh, saw fit and in their infinite wisdom are going to bump Ben up to uh, to cover the Golden Knights, at least for right now, uh, flying solo. So a few changes around here, but uh, I know I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited and I'm, I'm certainly excited to see uh, what you do with it, Ben. I, I know the, the listeners and the readers are uh, going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm obviously excited for you, but I think I speak for all of our listeners, all of our readers when, uh, you know, I say we're obviously really going to miss you on the beat. It's been obviously a crazy five years that you've been a part of 
with this team, you've done some absolutely tremendous work uh, throughout it. So you're absolutely going to be missed. You're absolutely going to leave a void for just kind of this hockey community. And obviously, especially for myself as a uh, sounding board, as someone who's really helped me out as I've kind of learned the ropes here, uh, I'm definitely going to feel that next year. But no, we'll ex- I'm excited to get going. But I think for now, both of us are probably also ready to decompress, take a little bit of a break and then yes. figure out what's going to happen in the future. Uh, in the future, uh, like I said, we're going to have stuff the rest of this week at ReviewJournal.com. So please make sure to uh, check that out. But we're going to leave the podcast there for now. As a reminder, the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Uh, we are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. That's David Shane for the last time on the Golden Knights beat. We are the Golden Edge podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.